Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. Well, Today Helen and I are joined on the show by native New Yorker and now UK-based property investor, developer and emerging educator Rupal Patel who's from Blue Infinity Property Group. Basically, the discussion is jam-packed with gems and nuggets of wisdom. So let's just dive right into that right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, here we are again on the Property Voice podcast, and I'm very pleased again on the Women in Property series to welcome another special guest today, and it's Rupal Patel from Blue Infinity Property Group, uh, who's with myself and Helen. But uh, first of all, Rupal, how are you doing? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks very much for asking, and I'm really excited to be here with you and Helen. Well, it's our pleasure. Thanks for agreeing to, to take the call. And I can already detect a bit of an accent there. And so <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe you haven't always been in this country, I suspect, but um, can't know the answer. No. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, it's a bit of a, well, maybe a slightly unusual story. Uh, but in a previous life, I um, was working in uh, in intelligence, foreign policy, military strategy, um, and was working quite closely with our British counterparts. So I'm American, a born and bred New Yorker. Um, and for work, I came uh, to London, and that's where I met my now husband slash business partner. Um, so sort of fast forward 10 years, and here I am. Wow, that sounds like an interesting background in itself, doesn't it, Helen? It does, yes. I'd love to know if there's anything that you got from uh, kind of the intelligence services and, um, and the foreign service that you could then bring into property. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two things that sort of stand out most in uh, for me and uh, is the uh, analytical side of things. So really, really having to understand either a different culture or a person or a situation and, you know, get good at, at, at joining together all of the various dots and, and making sense out of potential chaos. <laughs> um, that, that has definitely served me well in, um, well, in anything sort of entrepreneurial, you know, when you grow in your own business, but, you know, especially in property where there are, are often lots of moving parts. And, you know, this probably comes up a lot with your other guests, but uh, core property really is about people um, and the relationships that you develop with the people whether it's the agents or the vendors you're working with or your contractors or your tenants or your partners etc so I think you know the analytical skills were huge and and something that I very easily can translate into our business um, as I said sort of making sense of, of slightly complicated scenarios and situations and then the other part of that is what I just said is about the relationships and understanding people and trying to you know sort of get to know um, know what 
what is important to them and how we can work together to you know achieve the things that we both want to achieve out of our engagement together thank you that's that's really interesting and i also noticed in your biography that you come from a family of property investors yeah so tell me about that so um, so my parents are both originally from India um, and I was very lucky enough to uh, and, and they're both sort of have always prized um, and valued education but also financial independence and I was lucky enough from a very young age to have what at the time were very annoying dinner conversations about you know interest <laughs> rates and how compounding interest works and the importance of saving money and and and, and investing in your future um, and I remember this horrible feeling the first time you know I came home with my first paycheck at 16 um, you know I'd worked a part-time job got my first paycheck and I was you know sort of excited to tell my parents about it my dad took the check and promptly told me that half of it was going to be put into my retirement account and half of it was going to be donated <laughs> Party. Um, and at the time, as a 16 year old, you can probably imagine I was rolling my eyes and really annoyed at, you know, my dad. Uh, but it was a really important and foundational lesson in, again, sort of the importance of saving for your future and then also giving back when you can. Um, because, you know, we are in quite uh, in a privileged position, especially as property investors. And, you know, if you own your own business, oftentimes you can do um quite a lot of different things once you're successful and so having that lesson instilled in me from an early age and having it almost imposed upon me uh <laughs> was a really good thing um but as part of that uh experience <clears throat> excuse me or as a lesson you know my parents also showed us by doing and they were both doctors by profession but uh you know in their little spare time made it a priority to and invest in property because um, you know they saw that there's a real value um, in that asset class um, they invested a little bit in stocks and shares but I think the real passion lay in the property side of things so you know they have a small personal portfolio of just residential properties that they still own um, and then partnered with a few other family members and invested in some commercial properties as well well that's that's right. really interesting i think you know um, to have by the way financial discipline instilled in us from a very early age uh, something i'm a great uh, supporter of myself to be honest um, yeah i'm not sure that you know 50 percent to your retirement fund and 50 percent to charity is sustainable for your life but, you know <laughs> no well that's the that's the rule that's the patel family rule for your first paycheck every ah. time you get a new job after after that then i guess you can sort of you know uh, have a bit more control over over where the money goes but ah, yeah right. the rule is the first paycheck is divided up that way yeah but maybe to, to veer yeah. off on a tangent a little bit there is um ha has that sort of financial discipline stuck with you not necessarily those exact rules clearly as you just illustrated yeah. but you know do you yeah. have sort of uh, financial rules that you you adhere to generally speaking Oh my goodness, yes. Um, so again, it's a lot of the things that I absorbed by just watching my parents' example. One of them is first and foremost to never go into credit card debt for you know consumer sort of like consumer goods. So you know to always always live within my means. Um, if it's you know sort of personal uh, personal debt, uh, I you know I never I always pay off my credit card bills in full every month. I never you know sort of let it roll up and you know and accrue interest and that kind of thing. Um, and then so that's sort of more on the day-to-day -day sort of how I live my and spend my money personally uh, but in the bigger picture I think one of the 
things that it's also instilled is actually knowing the difference between good debt and bad debt. So not all debt is created equal. Yes, going into consumer debt and, you know, buying lots of stuff that, you know, you can't afford is crazy. But as we all know, as property investors, there is quote unquote good debt when you're, you know, leveraging your funds by getting a mortgage and paying down interest on that um, or, you know, sort of using high uh, paying down high interest loans with low interest loans. You know, there's lots of different debt and it's not all created equally. So knowing the difference and having that sort of savvy about how you manage money and finances um, has always been something that that I practice. Um, but then also the other sort of thing that we touched on earlier about, you know, saving for your future and planning for your future. Even when I was in full time employment and working for somebody else, I would always max out my retirement contribution. I would always, you know, uh, make sure that whatever I whatever employee benefits we got as far as the company or the organization matching our contributions into our retirement account, um, you know, I was maximizing that so that I was able to create a bit of a nest egg for for the eventual future uh, or for when I eventually retired. Um, but then sort of almost the opposite of that, um, but I also uh, picked up from my parents and, and why property makes so much sense is also to never rely one on the government to take care of you, um, especially in retirement, because as we all know, sort of social services and safety nets are getting stretched and stretched ever more as the years go on. But secondly, never to rely on just one single stream of income to support you. So, you know, property investing is great, but also, you know, like I said, you know, there were times where I was working full time, but also doing other things on the side. So you know, it's to diversify your income and also to not be reliant on other people. What a great answer. <laughs> well, that is, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I think we should just actually, you know, stop the recording and just put that out and just say, just do this, people. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. But it is just really wise words. And um, I think the key point is, obviously, I, I actually don't know your age and feel free not to share that uh, on air. But um, no, I, I'm happy to. I'm not embarrassed. I'm 38 years old. I'll be 39 later on. Yeah, you know, so, um, you know, in your, in your sort of latter 30s, obviously, but to get that sort of mm -hmm. message from an early stage, I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, Warren Buffett always talks about time in the market, not timing the market. Yep. You know, I think people, if yep. people can start yeah. at a young yeah. age with a teen in it, exactly. you know, it um, really makes a world of difference. And I, I have some, uh, actually only one teenager now, the rest are above teenager age, but I try and instill yeah. these sort of principles myself. Anyway, but it was a lovely little um digression um and i think um it's, it's a very very relevant because um you know property for example i'm sure we'll get into this topic but property is you know uh, does need a, a bit of capital doesn't it yes yep definitely so um yeah maybe just before drifting into the capital element uh, maybe if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us a little bit about you you know obviously you talked about your sort of li life a little bit uh, just headline mm -hmm. views but how, how have you got into property and, and what have you done in property to date? Just so we've got, a, uh, you know, a view of your, your experience and your and your background in property. Would that be would that be OK? Yeah, of course. Sure. So I guess rewind a few years um, back to around 2011. Um, as I said, sort of my previous career was totally different, um, <clears throat> you know, working in the in the public sector as a, you know, for the for the U.S. government. And uh, when I moved to London permanently, um, I actually went to business 
school. Um, and I went to London Business School. I got an MBA. I finished my degree in 2013. Um, and while I was in business school, you know, there was a lot of pressure and, and sort of the prevailing culture was either you go into finance and banking or you go into management consult or strategy consulting um, and that was it and I knew when I started the reason I was I went to business school wasn't so that I could transition from one big you know massive organization that was very bureaucratic to another you know and and mm-hmm. and whether it's a bureaucracy in the government or bureaucracy in the private sector it, it operates the same way and I knew that's not what I wanted so I focused those two years on an entrepreneurship and during those two years I did a lot of just sort of you know reflection and exploration and you know do working at, at early stage startups or doing projects at early stage startups and I knew I at the end of the day didn't want to work for anyone else and I wanted to be my own boss so I that was what I was sort of starting with and then like I said I experimented with a different a bunch of different business ideas and really just settled upon property um, because it was tangible everything that i had done in my life previously was very intellectual was very sort of theoretical in some ways you know you do a presentation or you'd um, have a briefing and you never really saw the impact of or the results of the hard work that you put into it and with property it's the total opposite you know you can take a ugly duckling and 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 make it into a beautiful swan and it's the beauty of it is not just in the actual beauty but in the tangibility of it and that really really spoke to me because while I do have a very analytical side I'm also very very creative and like to have you know to put my personal stamp on things and so because property is tangible you can have a bit more um, of a say in how things look how they feel how they're furnished how they're dressed you know and the aesthetic side of things which is really important to me so that's what you know that's sort of how I decided on property and then really the getting started was was a lot of people do is you know my husband and I uh, or my now husband and I uh, bought a, a, a single let property that was just a very small two bedroom terrace um, in Reading. We uh, financed it with some savings and decided that we would do the refurbishment ourselves because again, it was early days. We were, you know, we weren't flush with cash um, and we wanted to to really just get, get our hands dirty. Um, so yeah, so that's what we did. We bought our first property and then, you know, as I said, we, we did the refurbishment um, ourselves and, uh, it was a very, very good learning experience, is how I like to describe it, uh, because we had, you know, all of the wisdom of the YouTube videos that tell you how to do the tiling and how to scrape off, you know, the four layers of wallpaper and wood chip that was in this property. And, you know, it was, there are so many resources out there that we were able to avail ourselves of. But what we didn't have is a referee on like with us to keep us from going <laughs> each other when uh, when it just got really stressful and you know when I tell um, tell people about that experience I sort of laugh about it now but it was really hard because at mm. the time you know my husband was working full time I was in business school full time I was living in London commuting to Reading he was doing the opposite working in Reading and then commuting to my place in London um, you know and it was just and then adding sort of the stress of a refurbishment on top of that was was really intense. Um, but what it did teach us is that, well, thankfully, one, our relationship can withstand some pretty <laughs> intense experiences. <laughs> Two, we are good at getting things done to a high standard, but 
my God, we never want to do it ourselves again. So from that first project forward, we realized and decided that we would use experts and tradespeople to do the work because what took us about three and a half, maybe four months to do would have probably taken any qualified tradesperson three weeks. Um, and as we get more and more experienced, we've become so much more militant about valuing our time and protecting our time. So. Um, in every project since that one, we have outsourced to the experts and saved ourselves the sanity and the stress that comes with uh, trying to do it all yourself. Wow, again, um, <laughs> so many lessons. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, Helen, by all means, just shut me up if I talk too much. But uh, <laughs> So you don't have a habit of diving in and you're being ever so polite <laughs> in the background. <laughs> but um, there's so many things there, isn't there? I mean, lots of people, they, you know, they, they almost have no choice but to sort of do this DIY approach. Um, yep. <clears throat> if you look at the, the homes under the hammer type of programs, yeah. you often see people interviewed at the end of the program and they've gone, I've made, you know, X thousands of pounds profit on this project, yep. but they forgot to actually account for their time and the value of their time. Exactly. And, you know, yep. some other things I could pick holes in in the program, but I won't do that. I think it's just, <laughs> but yep. uh, I think the fundamental point is they had a go, they made a start, you know, and uh, they did what they could. Uh, they learned some lessons and then they applied them. Um, well, actually, I can't speak for all, all the home under the hammer uh, people because I don't know them. But certainly from your story, it sounds to me that's the case. Mm. You know, you certainly, you know, we would have asked you perhaps about some of the lessons learned along the way. And you mm. kind of already identified some in that particular thing. But, you know, not least of which that your relationship with studies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I will say, I think we are one of those. I, I don't know if it's rare or not, but we are uh, perhaps a unique couple in that we can work quite well together. And I know not everyone can. And unfortunately, we know some couples who try to go into business together, some sort of relationship couples or romantic couples, whatever you want to call them. Um, and it hasn't worked out so well. So we are very, very lucky from that perspective. Um, but I guess the other thing, you know, sort of that it taught us that experience was, I think, in the beginning, when you are getting started, it's almost important that you do get stuck in and it's not just the rite of passage but that experience of doing the refurbishment ourselves of learning how to do tiling of learning how to do decorating properly and all that kind of stuff is really really valuable now because then we are better able to do the quality control when we're outsourcing it to the experts. So, you know, we can very quickly tell if a tradesperson is doing something correctly or incorrectly because we've got that, you know, bit of experience doing it ourselves. So, you know, without um, uh, giving too much advice, I think sometimes it's valuable to do things yourself so then you know what to expect when others are doing it. And you know, again, how valuable that expertise is. I have nothing but the utmost respect for decorators and tilers and carpenters, et cetera, because, and I'm willing to pay, you know, what they are worth for the good ones because I know how difficult it is to do it ourselves. So um, I think, you know, there's a, there's, there's a lot to be gained from trying, you know, having a go at least once and, and, and getting your hands stuck in. Again, wonderful. I'm just, it's, I know you're dying to dive in. Sorry, Hannah. I was just, all I was going to say was there's probably quite a right. lot about roles in there, but we, maybe that's, possibly what Helen might have been wondering to pick up I don't know but I think it's not the end of the story is where I was going to go back to actually and maybe it's just fair to allow you Rupal to get the rest of the story you know your property journey out because you're not just doing single let refurbs anymore are you 
No. Yeah. So, um, well, basically, you know, sort of like I said, we um, we knew that this was going to be a business and I was committed. You know, we were both committed to making, you know, at the very least, giving it an honest go and, and committing to it full time. You know, I was um, working on the property business full time. My husband was still working in his in his job full time. And what are because you know, I was doing it full time. Our main priority in the beginning was really to replace my income or what would have been my post MBA income. Um, so cash flow was our priority. And, you know, single lets were great, but they weren't going to get us there. So or they weren't going to get us there quickly enough. Um, so what we started looking at is doing HMOs. And, you know, the HMO market at the time. So this is around 2012 um, in Reading was pretty dire uh, in the sense that uh, the standard of room accommodation was just not what we what we would have wanted for ourselves or for we would be renting to and so HMO seemed to make a lot of sense both from a financial perspective but also from a, almost like a philosophical perspective is that you know we could really make a big impact and do things properly and and provide a nicer um, alternative to what was what was available. Um, so that's what we focused on. And uh, again, you know, sort of what they say about the best laid plans. We were convinced that we were going to do 10 HMOs in the first year and it was all going to, you know, go tickety boo. Um, and obviously that's not uh, or it's not obvious, but it didn't happen that way. And actually what ended up what we ended up doing is that, you know, we were looking at tons of potential opportunities. Um, of properties that could be converted into HMOs and we weren't finding enough that stacked financially and you know would give us the opportunity to do them in, in the right way or to the right side um, so what we sort of diverted from that a little bit by actually starting to do rent to rent now obviously doing a rent to rent we're still um, you know sort of turning them into HMOs um, but it helped our cash flow uh, target because you know, getting a rent to rent is a lot easier and a lot faster than going through the whole transaction purchase transaction process um, if we were buying them all ourselves. So you know, we started with a, a few single lets, then we moved into HMOs, some of which we did buy rent to rent, some of which we then bought um, and owned ourselves, um, and actually some of our rent to rents we ended up buying from from the owners. So you know, it worked out well from that perspective too. And then you know, very slowly and steadily we graduated the sophistication um, and the size of the projects we were doing. So, you know, we went single lets, then HMOs, and then um, started doing conversions where we would take big properties and convert them into, you know, high-end self-contained flats. Um, and now we're focusing, or my husband is focusing on doing the new builds and the development side of our business. Um, and I am focusing now on what gets me really excited, which is the training and education side of our business. Brilliant. That's um, that's really interesting. Um, how your journeys evolved over time. Mm. I guess now would probably be a really good point to ask you about um, what you'd see as particular highs and lows, and also mm -hmm. barriers and obstacles. And for the purposes of this series, it would be great to know if you feel, as a woman, that you have encountered any um, particular barriers or obstacles because of your gender. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a tough question. So I guess I'll um, sort of the one thing that sort of stands out that was, I guess, a bit of a low um, and a bit 
things that made things a little bit difficult in the beginning was really sort of the pressure to conform and not jump into create or not create a business and not you know become a property investor because so many people and people who loved me and people you know friends family whoever were like what are you doing you know you've got this great degree from a great school why aren't you going and joining the McKinsey's and the Baines and the you know Goldman Sachs's of the world it's such a wasted mm. opportunity um, and that's actually really hard because you know I think especially you know here in Britain or back in the states we often identify ourselves with our job title or our position mm. or our company and when you don't have that to fall back on it can be really confusing and it can be really uh, I guess just a little bit demoralizing when you know you're constantly getting the question of like oh so what is it you're doing and how does that work exactly and oh you're a property entrepreneur what does that mean and you know and it's it you know it's these questions that before you had a re really easy answer for and now yeah. all of a sudden you're having to be a bit more thoughtful um and i think you know for me as a woman that was particularly hard because i've always prided myself on being financially independent of not needing to rely on any anybody for uh, you know to take care of myself you know I'm an adult and you know we should all be able to take care of ourselves kind of thing but now yeah. all of a sudden in the beginning when we were growing and we didn't have you know a lot of rental income coming in I was dependent on my husband's income and that sucked like it was a huge <laughs> it was it really did affect my um, I guess my confidence to some extent but you know sort of taking uh, the positive from it, it then also really fueled my my determination to make this work so that I would very quickly be sort of, you know, making my own money again and to make sure that, the, you know, I was basically to prove everybody wrong, you know, to, to prove that I didn't need a big name company to be successful and my talents and skills would be usable in a different, in a different, in a totally different way, but I could make anything work. Um, mm. So that was sort of, I guess, again, sort of the more, uh, I get the emotional, the intangible side of things that was difficult. Um, and then specifically in property, being a woman, I think what's just, uh, I didn't realize this until it was pointed out to me, but I've always worked in industries that have been highly alpha and highly male dominated. Um, mm. And after a while I just stopped noticing it and that is actually really sad that I didn't realize that more often than not I was still the only woman in, a, in the room and to be honest you know being a woman of color makes it you an even smaller percentage of the, the rooms that I was operating in and I think because I had always been in those environments it didn't I didn't notice it until I started meeting other women who were in property and I was like wait a second and why aren't there more of us in these places and what is holding us back and or you know keeping us from becoming property investors and developers and and mm -hmm. so I guess one of the it's hard to pinpoint specifically what or if I ever felt that being a woman has held me back but I think it's just realizing that there aren't a lot of other people who quote unquote look like me that is mm -hmm. again fueled me to almost want to be a role model for other people and or start building and growing um a community of women in property i mean you know there's the 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 you know the typical thing of like well you know are you taken seriously by tradesmen if you you know if you're a woman and are you you know are agents going to take you seriously if you're going and 
talking about how you want you're an investor and all that kind of stuff. And I think the way I handled those was just by being well prepared and being good at what I do. So, you know, yeah. again, there is definitely people definitely will treat you differently based on how you look and your gender and all these things. But if you're well prepared, you can almost disarm anyone. Yeah. So with agents, you know, I could very quickly tell when, especially when I was physically in the same room with them, when they were starting to sort of uh, write me off or question me, both because, you know, I look a little bit younger than I am, but also because, again, I'm a woman. Um, so I was just, you know, damn well prepared when I went <laughs> and I met with them. And I was like, look, I'm ready to go. Here's my proceedability pack. Here's a copy of my credit score. Here's a copy of my bank statements that show I've got the deposits ready to go. Here's my mortgage and principal. Here's, you know, the contact name and information for my solicitor and my broker. And I think because I took myself seriously, they couldn't help but take uh, me seriously yeah. as well. Um, so, you know, there is a lot to be said for being prepared and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that you might have to work a little bit harder or be a little bit more prepared than, you know, maybe a male counterpart, but look, that's the, that's the reality of the world and you just have to accept it, but then, you know, find a way to operate in an, in a way that will not hold, that your gender won't hold you back. And then similarly with trades, you know, like I said, having that experience of being able to, of, of having done that first refurbishment, you know, I was relatively capable and I've always been, you know, good with my hands um, and able to figure things out. So, you know, if I talk to a tradesperson and I know the right lingo to use, I know what different mm. parts are called, I know what specific tools are called, I know, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Again, it, you know, being well informed and well prepared, again, they can't help but take you a little bit more seriously or it's harder for them to dismiss you because, you know, yeah. you're you're talking the talk as well. So I think it's a combination of, you know, having role models, talking to other people, men and women who have done what I've wanted to do and, and have proven that it can be done. Um, having, you know, a little bit of, of, of faith in myself because like I said, I've always operated in sort of alpha environment. Uh, but then also, you know, really just being well prepared and taking yourself seriously. You know, no one, no one can dismiss you if you don't let them and if you give them reasons to take you seriously. Yeah, I would completely agree with you there, RuPaul. I've, I've also tended to work in male-dominated industries. I don't know why. It's yeah. just kind of happened that way. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I think it's hard to dismiss professionalism. And, exactly. and what have you got to lose by um, being really well-prepared, exactly. actually? Nothing. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so... So it's one of, sorry, the only thing I was just going to say is that sort of that confidence of knowing you're prepared also yeah. breeds confidence. So if it someone does. is slighting you or being a bit difficult, well, then, you know, you take it the right way. You don't internalize it and think, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot or I'm not prepared or I can't do this. I can't hang in this environment. No, it's it's that's on them. It's not on you. That's um, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so it'd be really great to understand perhaps your your principles and your values. Uh, perhaps things that you might do differently uh, in, in future because of your experience and things that you would never change. And one yep. of the things that I liked about um, your website was that you weren't afraid to say, to stay absolutely, uh, you know, front and center, that you would not want to create homes that you would not be happy to live in uh, exactly. you know, as a company. And I, I really like that. So tell us yeah. about your principles and values. I think that is the, the key driver for us is that 
you know, as you said, we will not rent out or sell any property that we wouldn't be thrilled to live in ourselves. You know, so many property investors and landlords get a bad reputation or I guess deserve their reputation because they do the bare minimum possible. They view their tenants or their you know potential clients um, as, you know, a paycheck and nothing else. And they don't realize or don't, you know, sort of care that actual human beings are going to be living in this space. And, you know, I am a very, very strong believer in that our physical environments have a huge impact on us emotionally, physically, on our performance, on lots of different things. So as a property investor and developer, it is our duty to provide beautiful, um, as our, our website says, inspirational and aspirational homes. And, you know, that's our standard. I get that not everybody has the same standard, um, but we that is our standard and that means that yes of course we make money from from our developments but you know what if it means we have to spend a little bit more um and ha things take a little bit longer to get done than they otherwise would well we're willing to make that sacrifice or we're willing to make that additional investment because we mm -hmm. can be then that much more proud of the end result and what we've done and what we're selling or or renting um and we can do it with you know our consciences intact I, I don't know why, I mean, I guess it's sort of, it's one of those things, it's like, well, you know, I, I don't understand why other people don't do it that way either, because that is just something that's so deeply rooted in how we do things. Um, but then the beauty of having such strong values and principles is that we communicate them to all of the people that we work with, you know, our contractors, our tradespeople, et cetera. And then there's no room for uh, disappointment because, you know, they know the standards, they know the expectations and either they agree with them and buy into them and or hold the same ones and we can work well together or they don't and then we don't work together and then everybody's happy, you know, and I think communicating yeah. our standards has made our lives so much easier because it tracks the, the people who share those standards and values to us, whether it's our, you know, our joint venture partners or investors or our contractors. Um, so I think having very clear and stated principles is mm -hmm. a great idea for our business. Um, and also, like I said, you know, it, it just means that we feel happy about what we're putting out into the world and we don't have to worry mm -hmm. about, um, we don't have to worry about our, our properties reflecting poorly on us because at the end of the day, I mean, it's our reputation as well. It's not just, okay, mm. we're renting this property out or we're selling it to somebody and that's the end of it. It's like, this is a brand, this is our reputation and this is us, the box stops with us, you know, and we want to yeah. make sure that it accurately, our, our properties accurate, accurately reflect who we are and what's important to us. It occurs to me, um, obviously you're a, a native New Yorker, Ru RuPaul, yeah. and the US term for housewife is a homemaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it just it just occurs to me, perhaps women are great at creating homes, whether that's for their own families or or for tenants. Yeah, perhaps, I mean, you know, perhaps they're better at that than men. I don't. Um, this is a you know. A, a point for argument. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think it depends. I will say, uh, I don't know if it's just that my husband is more highly evolved than most or just more <laughs> perceptive than most, but he also has quite an interesting and varied background. And one of his sort of early careers was working um, in hospitality where he was running uh, health clubs um, at sort of resorts in the Middle East. And he always says, 
and this is one of my favorite things that he says. He's like, look, the difference between a three-star hotel and a five-star hotel is a thousand little details. And mm. our job as our, you know, in our property business is to get those details right. You know, you, the, the tenants or the potential buyers won't always see all of the details because a lot of it goes into the, you know, having uh, and, and the structure and the fabric of the property. But you can tell very quickly when you enter, you know, a property that's been thoughtfully built or re or designed the difference between that and somewhere where the person just doesn't care and so I think he is definitely as as uh, focused on the livability and on the homeliness and the um, creating a home as I am but I know not mm. everyone is so it might I don't know it might be a gendered thing maybe women are maybe slightly more attuned to it um, and mm. you know the men who are more rare I don't know because maybe I, I I'm just lucky and I've got um, I've got someone who sort of sees things similarly to me um, in my husband but it is something that we both care care a lot about and you know we like I said we're both quite attuned to it when we're in mm. other physical spaces and you know they get it wrong or get it right so I, I'm going to jump. Probably the perfect. Yeah, I'm the, jump sorry, in the perfect like, point. Oh, sorry, you're going to stay. <laughs> the perfect point. And what? Sorry. The perfect point for you to jump in. That was ah. what I was going to say. <laughs> yes, and, and there I was. I was just chomping at the bit there because um, actually, there's quite a lot of things you said that I, I you know, would like to make make a couple of observations on. But I think this point's about you know the the roles. We Helen and I had a bit of a preamble, which will be released tomorrow. Uh, on the podcast about what we we might expect to cover during the course of the series. Maybe we'd bust some myths. Maybe there'll be some stereotypes that we get out, etc. And so we're exploring that conversation with 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 you today, and obviously the other guests. But on the subject of um, perhaps the difference of men and women, uh, just to give you a slight illustration into my own life, my, my wife and I we did a renovation of a property. Uh, recently, and we we employed an architect, and it's a separate project project we've done with that particular architect. And they were really worried about me uh, with the uh, interior fixtures and the design, <laughs> and how it looked. And I just had this reputation of being just a little bit fussy. And um, you know, my wife is not unfussy, but we're talking about levels here. So you know. Yeah. I, I was seen as very, very fussy. But just to contrast that, perhaps I'm different. Perhaps your husband is different because I remember yeah. having a conversation with a another project manager and a business partner who is who's male. They're both male and, and having the conversation about in vogue colors and, and fabrics and things like this. Yep. To actually enhance the, um, you know, this was for a flip project. So it wasn't, you know, we still wanted it to be lived in, but we also wanted to have this appeal. And they pretty much laughed at me. So I think there's <laughs> still plenty of caveman, cavemen out there. And, you know, sure. may, maybe we're not all perhaps, you know, uh, tuned into that. I got, I got called a name, if, uh, you know, so that it just goes to illustrate the, diff, the gender bias that can exist. And you know, if somebody, yeah. you know, male yeah. or female, can be prejudiced against because maybe they, they yep. have a slightly different perspective. Anyway, so you kind of said that also. That was one thing. Equally, uh, just go back to something you said earlier about identity, and I, I'm kind of going to link this into maybe uh, let you think about it while I'm talking. Is maybe uh, any mishaps mm -hmm. or small f failures? I'm going to come to that in a second. But yep. you mentioned earlier about the fact that you had a strong identity. You were very strongly financially independent. You were not reliant on anyone. And by the way, that rings true of my wife. You know, she's mm -hmm. uh, very much in that camp. But when I went full time in property. 
which was uh, five or six years ago now, I kind of stepped off a precipice and I didn't have a rope bridge. So, um, yeah. you know, I volunteered for volu volunteered for redundancy. I got a paycheck which gave me a small runway, but not a very long runway. Um, yep. I think I had about six to nine months burn burn rate in the bank, and I got I actually managed to plug it in about month eleven. So um, wow. I had this identity issue because my wife was the one in stable employment, and she was the one plugging that gap for that period of time where I wasn't. Yep. And so I went through a bit yep. of an identity crisis. I am, I think. But you know, we all need support mm. from time to time, and and um, it was, you know, it's just great to be able to to lean on on her a little bit, and she was happy to do that, yeah. and I'm so grateful that she did because, um, you know, hopefully now I'm I'm making a contribution, and uh, you know, she's uh, she's very yeah. happy with that too. But anyway, I, well, I, I, think... I shared the story just to cue you in a little bit about um, has there been any mishaps or small f failures that you've had to contend with? Uh, you, apart from perhaps the emotional or the psychological one that you mentioned uh, previously? Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> um, but just very quickly, I just wanted to um, uh, just address the thing that you were just talking about, about gender roles. I think the thing is, is that they go both ways. Um, and so while, you know, we definitely want women to be able to, you know, be as successful and as equally represented in, you know, all industries and all aspects of life, we also then have to make allowances and, and, and give men the space to, you know, lean on us to not be the breadwinner to, you know, be a homemaker for a little while or whatever. And I think, you know, just in general society, we need to be better as a society on both sides of the Atlantic, at the very least, um, to to give men a bit more scope to be the, again, the top, the homemaker or the one who's dependent on the wife for a little while or the one who is very attuned to, you know, the feel and the flow. Of, and the fixtures of a, of a property and things like that because mm -hmm. you know it's equally um damning in some ways if we expect men to only be in one certain way um so that's just my little soapbox aside message um but to your point uh, to your question about failure or small failure yeah i think one of the things that i know about myself is that i am a people pleaser and actually i do think this is something that women suffer from more than men um, and so Definitely. when I I really struggle to have difficult conversations and this has bitten us in the backside quite painfully um, in, in quite in a few instances one um, was our second project and we got in this builder who was uh, recommended to us um, who very quickly or not very quickly it was about a three or four month job that he was going to do this big refurbishment for us and uh, sort of halfway through we could tell he was just faffing i mean we would go to site and and no one would be there or they would tell us that they had done something and then it hadn't been done um you know sort of fast forward to the end where you know the the project had been basically finished but they hadn't done the snagging um and we got this phone call while we were on our honeymoon, I might add. Uh, we got this phone call from the builder saying, oh, you need to pay the final invoice um, uh, to me now. And I was like, well, well, we haven't done the snagging yet, and we want to make sure that everything's been done, and we can check everything is working properly before we do the final payment. And he's like, well, you know, I still have keys to the property, so if you don't pay me, I can sort things out on my end. So we're oh. like, uh, what does that mean exactly? We don't want to take any veiled threats and, you know, sort of 
and and then sort of uh, suffer for it. So we ended up paying the guy. Um, but lesson learned was, you know, have those difficult conversations throughout. Have people perform against a standard and hold them to that standard. I mean, it was. Mm. And the reason I count this as one of a big a big failure is because um, when we did get back from our honeymoon and went around and did the snagging. We found, for example, that some of the plug sockets that we had asked them to add in various rooms didn't work. And when we got a new electrician in to test them, he said, uh, Rupold, they're not actually wired up. He's just taken the boxes and Ooh. mounted those plastic boxes on the wall. Yeah. So lesson learned there. And then the tenants moved in a few days later. And, you know, they were all literally almost uh, all hell broke loose, you know. Showers weren't working. They had misplumbed the hot to the cold and the cold to the hot. One of the kitchen cabinets fell off the walls. I mean, it was literally a nightmare. Um, so, uh, and and like I said, you know, I could guess, of course, he deserves a good portion of the blame. But at the end of the day, the responsibility for how we did things is with us and with, you know, how we project managed it. Um, and so I would say, you know, that is something that I count as a big failure as far as you know not being better or stronger with uh yeah just holding him accountable you know forcing or you know making sure that they were doing what they were saying they were doing going to site probably more often than we did to make sure that they were turning up and that kind of thing so it's and and that sort of larger lesson about having difficult conversations and and holding people accountable is something that has stayed with me throughout and it's again it's not something that comes easily to me or to my husband unfortunately um but it's something that we now make a point of doing because it saves us so much hassle and stress and potential disaster um in the long run so that yeah it's one of the lessons that we learned the hard way but you know we we're still working on um you know sort of uh, in our business now Oh yes, that is a tricky one. And I don't like conflict much and I, I also struggle sometimes to have those difficult conversations. But yep. it is really important. Yeah. So yeah. Moving on from there, um, it'd be really interesting to know what you've got to say about the state of the market now and, and perhaps any insights you have into the future direction uh, of the market and, and trends that our audience of um, aspiring and, and existing property investors can um, can take on board yeah so one of the things that i get asked a lot is like oh isn't it risky investing now and why are you investing and it's so you know with brexit and this that and the other you know the the the, the sky's falling and you know isn't it dangerous and and i guess my my take on the market in general uh is that the uk has a critical housing shortage that is not going to get fixed anytime soon. So from a very big, you know, medium to long term macroeconomic point of view, supply still is far lower than demand. And even with just natural population growth, there's going to be an increase in demand in the coming years. So I think, again, macroeconomics, I feel quite confident about the UK as a place to invest in property. Now, of course, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier with that Warren Buffett quote, you know, property investing, too, is it's something you have to be in it to win it, obviously, but it's a long term thing. So there will always be these minor fluctuations or dips or, you know, 
know, things like Brexit that cause shocks to the to the market, and you'll see a dip or a fall. But if you're in it for for the long term, the general trajectory it does still tend to be upward. So it still is, you know, and the, and the great thing I say to people about property is that of all of the investing asset classes out there, property is the one that does never, that never goes down to zero. So, you know, your stocks and shares could literally be worth zero pounds tomorrow, but property will still have some value. So, you know, of, of the investment options out there, it is the relatively safest ones that of, of the ones that I've ever considered. Um, so that generally makes me feel good about investing in property. And then specifically, look, you can say that the market is saturated or the market is experiencing shocks in lots of different industries. You know, if you were in retail or if you were in sales or in services or whatever else, you know, there's always an excuse for why you can't make it work. And what we've told, what we, you know, what we tell people when, when we're asked the question about, you know, sort of why are we still investing? It's like, well, it, you know, given all of the uncertainties and, and the saturation in our market, especially in a place like Reading um, or, you know, in the southwest where things in the south where things are so expensive. And we say, look, it's true in any business. You just have to always keep on top of what your market wants, what's happening, and then just be better, you know, to respond and react or to plan how you're going to be better and then just build it into your service offering. So for example, you know, everyone uh, who ever asks us about investing in HMOs in Reading is like, oh, but isn't, aren't there too many HMOs out there now? And isn't it getting really difficult to find tenants and blah, blah, blah. And our answer is yes, sure. Things have definitely changed from 2012 to 2019. And it's not, you know, it's not any easier now than it was then. If anything, it's gotten more, more difficult but we've just had to up our game. You know, mm -hmm. we're just doing much more to provide a better service, to provide a better offering, to provide better, um, you know, to do better with our marketing and all of that kind of stuff in order to make sure that we stay relevant and can survive. Because, you know, property, people think that property is like this weird, uh, different, type of business, but it's not. Property is exactly like any other business. There will be potential shocks and potential um, difficulties in any business. And in order to survive, you just have to be better than your competition or find ways of adapting to make sure that you can survive. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of our take on it. And, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing forever or at all, but, you know, that's the reality for everything. So, um, you can't have, you, you know, you can't expect success without having to put in some time and effort into figuring out how that success is going to come and and being able to adapt and think through how are you going to adapt and change when the market around you changes as well. Well, absolutely. I think just be better was uh, something I wrote down there. Um, and, you know, I ah. think if I could say that sounds like it resonates throughout your whole sort of uh, being, to be honest, from right when you said mm -hmm. at the beginning that you just felt that you should be really well prepared, for example. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's another indicator to this sort of, um, if I can use my word, excellence, you know, to try and you know, adopt this sort of quality standards you talked about and be prepared and just be better. I don't know if that's resonating with you, but um, I'm certainly picking that up. Um, mm -hmm. But pro possibly in the interest of time, I, and, and I'm going to maybe ask you if, uh, how people could reach and connect to, with you in a second, but maybe before that, a precursor to that, uh, do you have any, um, you've given lots of tips and advice, uh, you know, along the way, but do you perhaps in, in closing have any sort of final words of advice for um, in particular women in property, uh, maybe starting out or thinking yep. of starting or at the early stages? 
um, or even even looking to maybe turn around who've been in the game a while and need to sort of transition in some way. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, and then perhaps we'll we'll get some contacts and uh, and draw things to a bit of a close if that's okay. Sure. Um, so for I guess uh, women who are just getting started or considering um, getting started in property, I think one of the things that people say, and I, I don't know if the research actually backs this up, but people say that women are often more risk averse than men. So my advice and tips to women, if you feel you are risk averse, is to, I guess, again, be thoughtful and spend a little bit of time literally writing down what do you think are the risks of getting involved in property investing and what are the costs, the actual costs and, you know, and, and listing it all down and then thinking through how you specifically would be able to address those, those concerns or those worries or those uh, risks because you know people just generally have different risk appetites and different um, things that make them anxious or not um, and so the, the trick is not to let those anxieties or those worries keep you from doing it it's to find a way to work through those anxieties and concerns in a way that feels right and authentic to you so seriously spend a little bit of time writing it down what are your worries what is you know what are the the 10 things that are keeping you from getting started, whether it's mental, financial, or you know something else, and then sit down and map out a plan and or talk to somebody about how, who has invested in property and ask them questions about how they overcame those same concerns or challenges that you might have. Because there's not, no such thing as no risk. Working for somebody else and having a, a job where somebody else employs you is risky because they could shut up shop and you know fire you tomorrow and you would you know be without any um you know without an income in the in the in the blink of an eye so you know even having a job is isn't totally devoid of risk and so you know it's just to think about risk and and uh, and the the things that are holding you back in a more thoughtful way and then talking through and working through how you could overcome those in a way again that that is feels comfortable and authentic to who you are and what's important to you um I think the other thing, and this is something that's really important to me, is that, you know, anytime I think of, oh, well, I can't do something or I shouldn't do something or oh, maybe I'm not qualified to do something, I sort of have to shake myself out of it and be like, no, you know what, you need to woman up and be a role model for <laughs> others because just because you don't see somebody else who's done it, who looks like you or is from where you're from or who talks like you talk or whatever else, that makes it even more of your responsibility to be that person for somebody else. And again, I think for women, that is particularly true because we don't see a lot of ourselves or other you know, women's faces in the rooms that we're in. And so if you are even remotely interested in um, you know, making a change or doing something different, then it is your duty to be a role model for others. And, and being a role model can be, you know, just a role model for your kids or for your community or for your, you know, your, uh, I don't know, your squash team or whoever, you know, you spend time <laughs> with. But it really is just, you know, I, I saw this the other day because uh, it was um, someone sent it around for International Women's Day uh, where it said something along the lines of like, um, you know, made a distinction between heroes and sheroes. And I thought that was really nice because it's true, you know, you could be somebody else's shero. So why not just, you know, woman up and find a way through the challenges and, and practically find a way through the concerns that are holding you back and then just make stuff happen. You know, nobody does anything in a vacuum. We've all 
found our ways to where we are with the help and support of other people. And so just go out there and start filling in the gaps in your knowledge, in your network, in your expertise that will enable you to do what it is that you want to do. Um, and then in the sort of more general category of advice for anybody who's uh, getting started is, uh, and this is advice that we got in the beginning and I thought it was fantastic, um, it was to go slow to grow fast. I think, again, in the beginning, we were so excited, and I told you about that target where we had, we, you know, we wanted to do 10 HMOs in a year, and we were going to, you know, bang it all out really effortlessly and seamlessly. Um, and when we said that to a more experienced investor, he's like, that's great. You can do that, and people have done that. That's not a problem. But, you know, our philosophy has been to go slow, to grow fast. And what we what sort of we took away from that is that it's really important to have the solid foundations in place place for you to be able to grow in a way that is not going to break you because that's the thing yes you can achieve big big goals but you have to do it in a way that's not going to break take you to the breaking point you want to be stretched but not broken um, is how I like to say it so you know making sure that you're doing things with a solid foundation and then building on that foundation and we did that ourselves you know we started with a single let then we got slightly more sophisticated and did you know HMOs? Then we did uh, HMOs that needed total gut refurbishments. Then we did conversions, and now we're doing new builds and developments. You know there was a steady progression to how we did it, and at each stage, that foundation and the knowledge you gain will give you a much more solid ground. I guess no pun intended, um, on which to build your um, your your business moving forward. So I think that um, you know that's really really important. Yeah, that's a, that's a really um, good way of looking at it, I think, uh, RuPaul. So I think we need to bring things to to a close now. So uh, perhaps before we go, you can give us any uh, a means of people getting in, in touch with you if they'd like to get in contact. Yes, of course. I would love to hear from folks. As you guys can tell, I love chatting with things that I about <laughs> things that I'm passionate about. Um, so folks can very, very easily get in touch with me um, by email, which is uh, just rupal, R-U-P-A-L, at blueinfinityproperty.com. Um, and, you know, I, I check all of my email. I haven't outsourced it to a VA or anything. So um, <laughs> if you email me, you will hear, uh, hear back from me. Um, and I think the thing that my only caveat to, in inviting any um, folks to get in touch is that I really, I am very generous. I love sharing. I love talking to folks um, and helping with, you know, whatever way I can. But I really want to make sure that folks are going to take action. And so, you know, if you're not ready and you're just sort of getting together information, um, that's fine. I'm happy to share information. But what really excites me is when people come back to me and tell me, hey, thank you for your advice. Here's what I've done with it and how I've implemented it. So um, hopefully that will be all of your listeners. Um, but, yeah, I'm always happy to hear from folks and, um, and help however I can. Um, and the last thing I was going to say is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I am starting to now focus on a freestanding part of our business, which is focused on just the training and education side of things. Um, and that will be launching in April. So um, watch this space um, for anyone who's interested. Again, just get in touch with me and I'll tell you more about that. Um, and like I said, just uh, let me know how I can help and, and what, what I can share. Perfect. Perfect. I mean, um, by the way, I relate so much to what you said about uh, people, you know, uh, asking for um, your time, essentially, and your knowledge. 
Mm. Uh, you know, you were careful in how you said that, but uh, and I think you know you're looking for people who will take action. But you know, just to illustrate, literally this yeah. morning, somebody wrote to me. I just sort of gave a few tips and pointers to them, and they wrote and they said, um, "I'm not really ready to uh, invest at the moment. I'm just doing some education. Can I have half an hour of your time to pick your brains on the state of the market, or words to that effect?" Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm going to be very transparent with you. I, I basically said, "Here is a bunch of free resources that I offer." For exactly. example, including this yep. podcast and, you know, other, other you know, <laughs> yep. magazine articles. They're all free. My book's three quid. Yep. So um, maybe that will help your research. And, you know, when you probably are more yep. ready for action taking, um, I can probably squeeze some time in my diary. And, you know, you have to set exactly. boundaries. And you talk about being a people exactly. You know, I think yep. especially for women, probably, you know, they have to set boundaries. Mm. But the other thing I was going to yep. add, perhaps before we close, is you talked about the risk and you gave an exercise. And I don't know if you saw this but have you seen the fear setting exercise that tim ferris talks about Lupin? oh no uh, okay. oh it, it's brilliant honestly it's a it's, look it up ted talk um i'll okay. send you links afterwards i'll put them in the show notes it's absolutely brilliant it's it's not what you expect and in fact he's okay very very powerful how he opens in particular he talks about some very dark personal experiences which i didn't know about him um bipolar depression things like that but um what he does talk about is the, the what was really got me with this fear setting exercise is the consequences of not taking action as well as the yeah. fear of things potential fear or perceived fear otherwise so i just wanted to add yeah. that in as a little bit of an extra resource perhaps to what you were suggesting yeah. but, um i think you know i just want to add my sort of uh, sentiment here that it's been wonderful to talk to you and learn about your story and hear so much quality information I really wish I could have drilled into into some of what you said a bit more, but you know, just in the interest of a of time and what would be a reasonable podcast episode, which would keep keep the attention. <laughs> I've resisted. No but, worries. You know, I'd love maybe some kind of follow up if that was uh, appropriate or convenient. Perfect. And uh, just I would love to. Okay, perfect. Well, maybe that's the cue, and I just want to leave it at that point and say thanks so much for joining us today. I don't know if Helen, you've got any final words in closing as well before perhaps RuPaul. Uh, uh, disappears today <laughs> yeah so just really wanted to to thank rupal it's uh, a really interesting story that you've shared and i love your approach to to property investing into life and i'm sure that uh, the property voice uh, podcast listeners will have got so much from from our conversation today uh, well thank you guys both for having me it was a Wonderful conversation. Um, and I, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm sort of sitting, sitting here sort of smiling at my, uh, at my computer. So I love, yeah, I just love being in groups like this and talking to, to folks who, um, you know, like yourselves are interested in, in, in property, but also in life and, and improving ourselves and improving the world uh, that we're in in whatever way we can. So thank you so much for um, allowing me to be a part of this. It's absolutely our pleasure. Thanks so much. And um, we'd love to catch up in, in the future. But we'll obviously send you the links when they're becoming available because uh, I think there's going to be lots of people wanting to reach out to you. And uh, I think the story's awesome. great. Yeah. But thanks again today. It's been great chatting. And uh, we'll speak again soon, no doubt, Rupal. Thank you. Thank you. Well, wasn't that amazing i will see there's quite a lot there that we've covered and time has moved on and i've got quite a few notes i made in the show notes so you can go and look at those if you just want to kind of get a sense of what i was picking out but i'm just going to drill into some of the key points that came in 
you know, the foundational lessons of saving and giving back. Uh, not all debt is created equal. And diversify your income and not rely on other people was really where it all started. And I think they're such good financial principles for all of us to take. And if you remember, RuPaul right at the beginning talked about um, how she mucked in really and dove it, dived into uh, her own project along with her husband. And so um, now, of course, they understand how things work and that gives them a great advantage in terms of undertaking a project and managing the tradespeople. Clearly, she's um, addressed the business as a, as a full-time occupation and therefore taking it seriously. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, the odds of, you know, pressure to conform perhaps to pursue a traditional career. You know, someone who's done an MBA and has got senior, has senior roles in, uh, in government positions and can go into consultancy, turned their back on that and went into property. And so that created perhaps a lack of identity or even confidence. And maybe some people can relate to that, particularly if you're working in, in a strong, uh, you know, you've been in, back, um, in, a, in an educational background and maybe got a strong career. It, it could be uh, a challenge to your identity really to, to con- consider that. But interestingly, RuPaul used that as a driver to succeed. And so that, in fact, is another phrase you use later on, which you used... Uh, being a woman and in fact being the only woman of color in the room as fuel that was the word actually she used fuel to become a role model in property and actually she described it as a duty uh, for for all of all of us really to to step out that way and she mentioned the word shiro later on which I'll come back to but uh, I think the other thing that came out was be well prepared and that's not the first time we've heard that is it on this series be well prepared prepared rather and good at what you do has been a great way to disarm people and yeah maybe that seems a bit unfair perhaps you know especially we're talking about gender bias here but you can knock you can knock that arrogant guy off his uh, perch with uh, great preparation so maybe it is the way as RuPaul says but uh, be prepared and you can disarm them she talks a lot about the principles and values that uh, she and her husband in their business say they adhere to and you know obviously I definitely subscribe to don't sell or rent anything that you wouldn't be prepared to live in yourself so that that stands out but equally the idea of having standards clearly written standards and communicate those along with your principles so that it makes it easier for people to uh, to work with you or, or for you to determine who you're going to work with and who not to. And of course, to hold people to account, have those difficult conversations, I think she also talked about. Um, and I think the, the, the thousand little details saying also spoke of, a, of a, what I call an attitude of excellence. So um, she didn't use that phrase. That was my interpretation. Talked about some of the mishaps and failures and in fact, having those difficult conversations. And, you know, if you are a people pleaser and perhaps you feel a little bit intimidated at times, you know, the story of the the guy who threatened to basically go and do, I don't know what, at a house would be frightening to anyone, I should imagine, let alone, uh, you know, a female, you know, I've had similar threats I've had to deal with, but... um, you know, have difficult, have those conversations with people. But if you have the standards in the first place, it's easy to have the difficult conversation, um, you know, later on as well. Uh, so take the responsibility. Um, there's a few other things she talked about in the market, but the one thing I really loved about what she said, she's just be better. <laughs> I love that, you know, because um, there's so much mediocrity and below average out there. It's not actually that difficult to be better. So just be better. Uh, and, and, and equally, find a way through um, any fears that you have in a way that's right and authentic to you personally. Now, authenticism, or if that's a word, being authentic is a bit of a buzzword or a buzz phrase at the moment. But I think you can't fake being authentic. You just are. 
So just keep that in mind. So whatever you do, be authentic to you, to what resonates with you personally. And of course, the other phrase she used was woman up when she also talks about being a role model as being your duty or a shero. So uh, woman up, everybody out there. Uh, I guess towards the end, she starts talking about, you know, go, what was the phrase she used? Go slow to grow fast, uh, which basically is all about having plans and foundations in place. And I'm on an apprenticeship program at the moment. I'm running this with my group of apprentices and we're just towards the end of the planning phase and setting um, setting business plans up. And I'm kind of reluctant to move on. There's a few people trying to get me to move to another phase, but no, I'm insistent that we get the foundations in place um, before we move on any further. So I'm being a bit annoying in, in insisting that people have that, but I'm, I so much believe in it. So maybe I am stretching people um, not quite to breaking point, which is another phrase that uh, RuPaul gave us. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's something else. So steady steady progress is exactly how RuPaul's done things. So there you go. That's just a quick whistle-stop uh, tour of what she said, I think. Hopefully, I haven't taken too much time in that. And I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think Helen did as well. And if you'd like to connect with RuPaul at all, then make sure you drop her an email. Um, RuPaul, which is R-U-P-A-L, at blueinfinityproperty.com is her email address, which she read out. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. She said she's very generous with the time and is able to help and willing to help, but she really likes it uh, if people reach out to who are ready to take action. And I can resonate with that because there's nothing worse than, you know, just feeding people information. They just go away and they don't do anything. I personally get a kick out of seeing people turn around and transition and make progress. And it sounds very much like RuPaul's the same. And she did also say that in April, and at the time of re- releasing this podcast, it is the beginning of April, she's got uh, something to announce around the sort of training and education piece. So I guess you should connect with her and find out what that's all about, actually. So much um, nuggets, as I say, she shared uh, in, in, in the conversation that we had. But in the interest of time, that's all I've got for you this week. And if you'd like to talk about anything from today's show or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. And in fact, if you want to reach Helen as well for that matter, send the email to the same address and I'll make sure she gets that too. So if you want to talk to Helen and not me, that's cool. No problem. I'll, I'll put you in touch and you can talk to Helen directly. Meanwhile, the show notes can be found at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And I guess that's all that's left to say uh, for now. And uh, thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.